following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. This morning is going to be a lot of scripture that I use, and some of it's lengthy. So if you would go to the, uh, when you get home or at your convenience, if you go to the church website, uh, you can, the full transcript's there with all the verses and writing. So if you do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father Lord, as we come into your house to, to continue to worship and praise you and to hear your word, Lord, I ask that you have the Holy Spirit come and take, take all the crud of daily life out of our minds right now, not worrying about what we're doing for lunch or what time the baseball game's on and things like that. Lord, just let us be attentive to you, to hear how your word is applicable to us each and every day. You are a living God and not a stagnant God. You're not a dead God, and your word is alive. And there's applicability in everything that you've told us to how we should live our lives. So, Father, let us heed your call this morning. And it's in your Son, Jesus, most magnificent and awful, wonderfully named Jesus the Christ. Amen. This morning we're going to continue on the uh, Hebrew. If it's the last Sunday of the month, then it's Fearless Faith, and that's me. So, Fearless Faith, we're going to be in chapter 11, uh, verses 30 and 31. But I have to tell you, caveat before that, we will spend most of our time this morning in the book of Judges, chapters 1 and 2. But use the segue to that is uh, we're going to begin with Hebrews chapter 11, verses 30 and 31. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And in verse 31, by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Well, this morning, I, I want to lay down some um, basic foundations uh, concerning Rahab and Joshua. And we'll start to begin with uh, Joshua. And just a quick summary, he, he is now God's appointed leader uh, of the Israelite people. And Joshua was born while the people were still slaved and enslaved in, in Egypt. And he went through the great events that are outlined in Exodus chapter 12. And the exodus with Moses and all the Hebrew people who escaped from slavery in Egypt, they did it at the hand of their Redeemer, God. In the wilderness of Sinai, Moses took his assistant, Joshua, with him, and when he went to the mountains to talk with God. In Exodus chapter 24, verses 12 and 13, it says this, The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments which were written for your instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. And Moses went up higher while Joshua waited. You know, Moses was with God on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, and that's a significant period of time, and it probably has something corresponding in the New Testament. Just saying. And Joshua is waiting patiently for uh, Moses to return. And during that time, Scripture tells us that God was training Joshua for a great task that laid ahead of him. Now, I, I love 
names and word searches and stuff like that. Joshua's name in the Old Testament from, uh, is a form of Jesus, meaning the Lord is salvation. And by his name and by his light, uh, his life, he demonstrated that salvation comes from God. And after Moses' death, Joshua was chosen as his successor. In Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all these people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Oh, I know it. I meant to tell you something. My first church I was on staff at, preacher loved this pulpit, as all preachers should. So we had an associate uh, that maybe once every four months he might be able to preach on Sunday. And uh, his name was Kevin Gephardt. Hi, Kevin, if you're listening. Kevin would try to jam in. I call it the Kevin Gephardt syndrome, where he gets to preach so infrequently he tries to jumble. You know, he's just cramming all this stuff in. And uh, I used to say, do we get continuing education credits for this? Because the 35 minutes turned out to be an hour and 20, an hour and people, what is he talking about? I don't want to do that this morning, but pray that I don't turn into a Gephardt this morning, okay? Because there's a lot of stuff. Okay. In Joshua 13, uh, Joshua supervises the division of the territory among the 12 tribes and led the people in, to renew their covenant with God. In Joshua 24:30, and then they buried him in his own inheritance at Timonath, Sarah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. As Moses' successor, Joshua completed the work that the great leader Moses had begun. Moses led Israel out of Egypt. Joshua leads them into the land of Cana. And, and Joshua compares and contrasts in a way with Jesus, and I think in more one way, but I'll, I'll give one example. Joshua led Israel in a limited and partial way to God's feet, where Jesus Christ would do the same thing, but in a perfect and final way. And I can back that up with Hebrews chapter 4, 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken uh, of another day later on. The reference to Jesus in verse 8 involves Joshua of the Old Testament. And the two names are identical, both in Hebrew and in Greek. Joshua provided Israel with their inheritance. In Joshua chapter 11, verse 23, it says, So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses. And Joshua gave it for their inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments. And the land had rest from war. Anybody know what the inheritance of the church, who it's from? Jesus Christ. Christ gives us our inheritance. In Ephesians 1.11, it says, In whom also we have attained an inheritance. In Romans 8.17, it says, And if children, their heirs heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, as Joshua followed Moses, also Jesus Christ, but in a different way. In the book of John, 
chapter 1, verse 17, it says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. In Galatians 3, 24 and 26, it says, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. We're talking about fearless faith. Verse 25 says, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. What I understand that to mean is, the law convicts us of sin. It restrains us from sin. It condemns us from sin, for sin. But you know what? The law cannot save you from sin. The law, the law, what it does, it reveals what sin is. In 1 John 3, 4, it says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And as Jesus intercedes for us, Joshua was interceded for Israel when they sinned. In Joshua 7, verses 6 through 8, it says, Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Verse 7 says, And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To give us into the hands of the Amorites? To destroy us? Would that, have been content, would that we have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan? In verse 8, Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? Jesus intercedes for us when we sin. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 21, it says very clearly, and I love how this starts, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. For he is the appropriation of our sins, and not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. You know, Sometimes we get caught up, and we, I, I know I do every now and then. I think about the world in the context today. I don't know how many billion people are on the planet. But this, what he's talking about is when time began, everyone that's ever lived on this planet and ever will live on this planet, it's amazing. It's amazing. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he, was always, since he always lives to make intercessions for them. So Christ is able to save us completely and perfectly. Now, I'm not going to read of Joshua chapter 1, all 29 verses or so. But I'd like to skip to verse 16 and 17. Joshua 1, 16. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you, as he was with Moses. Verse 18. Whoever rebels against your commandments and disobeys your words, 
Whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Fearless faith. I want to talk a little bit about Rahab and to kind of tie them together. You know, we see how Rahab and her family is saved alive when Joshua leads the city, uh, leads the is, uh, Israel around the city walls of Jericho. And, and I believe that the story of Rahab should give um, hope to all of us, all the sinners of the world, that we too can become children of God by faith in Christ, who cast no one out if they come to him in faith. But before we start looking at more depth, Joshua and Rahab, I, I want to ask ourselves two questions. Question one, how is your faith? And question two, do you think your past will stop you from serving the Lord? Let me tell you. Question number two, I wrestled with for years. Most of you know I was a Marine, and I was a real good Marine. I was hard fighting, hard loving, hard drinking, all that stuff. And every other, I, I could curse, it sounded like poetry when I was a drill instructor. I had a general one time say I never heard anybody put those words in that order. Not proud of it. And when I was being called into ministry, I'm saying to myself, Lord, this is Fred Fitzgerald, you know, the little short, fat guy from Boston. Uh, you got the wrong, wrong guy. Because how with all the things that I've done wrong in my life and how displeasing I've been and arrogant I've been towards you, how can you call me to serve you? Then I had the aha moment. God forgives everything. You know what the problem is? We, we hold on to our sin. We need to let it go. So we're going to look at Rahab, and if you, by all accounts, uh, she was a lost pagan woman living in the city of Jericho. And she became one of the most honored women in the Bible. And she's mentioned in Joshua, of course, but she's also mentioned in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 11, she's also mentioned in the book of James. And in Hebrews 11, I, I believe she stands as an example of fearless faith. And in James, she's exemplified as an illustration of works. So putting the two together, we see in Rahab the picture of what we should all be, or what we should all have. And here it is, a belief that behaves. That's an interesting word. Any parents here? What do you want your kids to do? Behave, right? My son must be, you know, he, I, I, if I said it once, I said it two million times. So why can't you behave? What is that? Behave means follow in to what I, I want you to do. We have to have a belief that behaves. And, you know, the Bible, when you look at it in depth, it, it doesn't have a whole lot to say about the life of Rahab. Very, some very short insight. 
And it seems the only account that we really find from her is in Joshua 2. And you know, when you look at it, and you just do a cursory glance, it seems to me that Rahab probably wouldn't be the exactly the heroine material. She's first introduced in some translations as a harlot. We use the ESV, I use the ESV. Pretty clear, she's a prostitute. Not someone that you would expect to be praised for in Scripture. But let me give you an example or an illustration that I think is a good one that kind of ties into Rahab. There once was a rather rough, uncultured guy, and for some reason... He was in love with this beautiful vase that he saw in a store. And so eventually he bought the vase. And he, if I'm from Boston, it's a vase. It's in the Panhandle, Florida. It's a vase, a jar. But anyway, <laughs> uh, eventually he, he bought the vase and, and he put it on the mantle in his room. And, and there came, it became kind of a judgment on the surroundings that, in the house. So he had to clean up the room to make it worthy of the vase. And it, it, the curtains then kind of looked dingy and fray, faded and beside it. And then his favorite old recliner, the stuffing comes out of it, that wouldn't do either. And as he's looking around, then the, the wallpaper paper needed to be redone. Gradually, the whole room is transformed. Why do I tell you that? When you put Christ on the mantle of your heart, your whole life is transformed. You have to change. You have to behave. It is the kind of transformation that we we witness here in the second chapter of Joshua. The Israelites were about to enter Canaan, and they're about to claim their promised land. The first city they would have to face on their way was the great walled city of Jericho. And if if they could take the city of Jericho, then they could easily split the country into two and then move from there to conquer the north and the south. Rahab. I kind of call her the doomed sinner. And you can read about her in Joshua 2.1. You know, she's... uh, She's first introduced to us as a member of a disgusting, degenerate race of people, the Canaanites. Their religion was foul and vile uh, on, on every level. Every god was, there was hundreds of gods, and they elevated these gods to be items of worship. When you do a search for what the name Rahab means, it kind of sums up the day in which she lived. Rahab means proud. I would say the Canaanites were pretty arrogant. However, Rahab's days were numbered. The Hebrews were on their way, and God's divine judgment was coming. Rahab lived in the day and age, if you think about it, there's a lot of comparisons and contrast to the age that we live in right now. We live in a world, and I believe this with all my heart, that is ready for divine judgment. I'll tell you what, it frightens me, but also gladdens me. 
because I know God will keep his word. Let me give you an example. And I, I don't try to be too social conscious when I preach, but I think it's important. I'll give you two examples. We live in a world today that so-called alternate lifestyles are now given the nod of approval. And you know, it's almost against the law these days to say anything bad about people living alternate lifestyles. And I don't know about you, but when the Bible says is abomination before God, that's kind of serious stuff, you know? Um, there, you know, if God doesn't come soon, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. That's, that's my feeling. You know, Jerry, with the walk for life and all those babies that are aborted, genocide on a scale that we don't even comprehend. Is that not a violation of God's law? Thou shalt not kill. But it's become accepted. And it's to the point it's been alternate lifestyles, abortion. It's it's become accepted in our local levels communities, in our bigger level counties, in our state, and in our nation. And it's ratified and it's codified in the Senate and House of our government. I don't know, folks. It's kind of like some of you knows that God and saying, "Yeah, I can do this." God has a judgment. Judgment is on its way. Verse 15 tells us how Rahab lived on the the walls of the the town. And now most people would think that Rahab occupied this extremely strong position in the wall. So I did some research on how how Jericho was constructed. And in Joshua's day, Jeremiah, uh, Jericho was surrounded by two walls, and they were both 30 feet tall. And the outer wall was six foot thick. And then there was an inner wall that was 12 foot thick. But there was about a 10 foot gap, 10 to 15 depending, between the two walls. Six foot gap, 12 foot. So what they did is they... They started building within the gaps, putting floorings and roofing and all that stuff. Now, Rahab's house was placed really high up on the massive walls of Jericho, and she was sure they had a strong foundation. My reasoning, that's a false sense of security. Those walls would be the first thing to fail when judgment came. Could you imagine? You tear... A six-foot wall, they had the technology to kind of knock that down. That's why they built the 12-foot wall. But it was a stopgap. Well, once that six-foot wall comes down, everything that was built in the space between, what's going to happen to that? comes crashing down. comes crashing down. So there was this false sense of security, and those walls, they actually, they'd be the first things to fall when judgment came. You know, I believe there's many people today 
who live in a metaphorical uh, Jericho today. They think that they're secure despite their sinful life. We live on man-made walls of religion, of self-righteousness, and on self-respectability. You need to take the self out of it. Self, you leave it up to myself, I will mess it up. Anybody say amen to that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> if you leave me to my own devices, my wife will tell you it will come out wrong, broken, and we just have to spend more money after it. I know how to do this. I saw a YouTube video. I can figure that out. Want me to rewire the house? Not a problem. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I am so self-righteous. Oh, man. Can you believe what those people were doing down walking down the street? Hmm. I'm much better than them. I have all, I have self-respect. I love myself. I am the best thing since sliced bread and Nutella. <laughs> the second point about Rahab is she's the delivered saint. And you read about that in, in Joshua 2, verses 8 through 11. God sends two spies into, into Jericho. And I was thinking about this. I think God always has two spies in our human soul. The first spy is the Holy Spirit. And the other spy is memory. And they don't always work in concert with each other. You see, the Holy Spirit, he's in us to rebuke us from our wrongdoing and to lead us on a path of righteousness. You know what memory does? It reminds us of all our wrongdoing. And that can be crippling. Crippling. One of the hardest things is I can forgive Cindy for a a perceived slight. But I can't forgive myself for something. I just, I got to hold on to it. I got to beat myself up about it all day. Think about it so it becomes a preoccupation. It's crazy thinking. Crazy. We have to, our memories are good. But when we start to continually ruminating on them and, 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 and just letting them fester, they're not good. But between the two of these um, items, the Holy Spirit and memory, we stand fully exposed to God. Now Rahab, Rahab she confessed her fear to the two spies when she took them into her house. She realized that it was God that she had to deal with and the God she had to answer to. Do you realize we have to do the same thing? I think I shared with you when I get to... I'm a visual type of person. When I get to heaven, my, I, have, I have nightmares about this, actually, that I get to heaven, God the Father's there, and he says, what have you done with my son Jesus? And there's this big filing cabinet. And he opens up the first drawer, and there's about this much thick, full of files about what I do with Jesus. And he says, you did good. 
You did good here. You did good here. And I get all puffed up. Then he takes down, he goes down one floor lower, and he flings it open, and it goes on for infinity, and it's empty. And he says, you could have done so much more. We have to be, we will be held accountable for what we have done and what we haven't done. And if we have to face God and say, you know what, I, I'm, I was just too busy. You want me to work with kids? I don't like kids. I don't even have a kid. <laughs> he, he didn't ask you what you like. <laughs> he wants you to model his behavior. So very quickly, I have five things I want to talk about Rahab. First is, she couldn't save herself. You know, there was, there was really no hiding place for her. She thought that her position on the wall was only as good as the wall. She knew that. And the wall, as strong as it seemed, 6 feet, 12 feet, it would not stand the test of the coming judgment. The second thing was Jericho was shut up. If you look at Joshua chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because the people of Israel, none went out and none went in. You talk about being quarantined. These are thousands of people that can't go outside the city walls. No one can come in. Those people who are in power, they wanted to make sure that everyone in Jericho remained in Jericho. Lots of reasons. They didn't trust their people. Because they were afraid, they wanted to make sure that there was no contact with the enemy. And when you read into, into Joshua, the king of Jericho, who I, I see as a kind of like a picture of Satan at the time, he wants to hold on to his own to the very, very end. But salvation was discouraged by those who had rule over Rahab. And Satan vis- vigorously opposes any thought of salvation. Any born-again Christians in here this morning? Yeah, yeah. yeah, amen, okay. Satan hates you. He hates you. You are not his friend. He will try you. You need to pray for your pastor. You need to pray for the elders and the deacons and the leadership of this church because when you are doing what God wants you to do, you will be attacked by Satan in such in ways that is so hurtful and painful to you. Thank God we have Jesus. You know, when someone is under conviction, Satan has many ways of making salvation look very unattractive. And when you're going through persecution or times of hard times, what would your friends say? What would your family think? You know, Satan ridicules the very thought of salvation. You know, sometimes, oftentimes, though, he he soothes an anxious soul. You know, I've got all this anxiety about what I should do. And he says, ah, he gives us a false sense of security. You know, I told you that Jericho was shut up, no one in and no one out. 
Salvation has to come from the outside. Has to come. Has to come through Christ. Salvation for Jericho came when she had been when they had been taught who was the enemy. In Joshua chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, it says this. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sinon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now, how did Rahab know this stuff? You know, she's a prostitute. How did she find out? Did she get it from some of her customers? Was it from pillow talk? Rahab confessed to a knowledge of that so great salvation. You see, God had already provided for his people, and she knew that God had put them under the blood brought them through the water, and gathered them around the table. He had fed them bread, manna from heaven. He had given them water from a rock. He had brought them into Sinai and taught them how to order their lives. He had already begun to put his hands on their enemy. See, Rahab's God and the Israelites' God was the God of salvation. Rahab had heard and believed. She knew where salvation was to be found. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, it says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Do you believe this statement? God's salvation was available to everyone? In Rahab's case, she was the only one in Jericho that believed. The plan of salvation is taught to Rahab by two signs. Spies was quite simple. Joshua 2.18 Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and your mother, your brothers and all your family, father's household. The scarlet line was to Rahab with the scarlet cord and her family was what the blood on the doorsteps would have been for the Hebrews in Egypt. The way to salvation is always the same. It had to be the shed blood of a perfect lamb. The scarlet cord that's talked about with Rahab, I believe that runs all the way through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And we get the first hint of it in Eden when God clothes Adam and Eve with animal skins and protects them from his wrath. The scarlet cord can be seen in in that more acceptable offering of Abel that Abel offered up to God. Cain thought he could come to God on the merits of his good work. Abel knew that without the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sin. Everywhere in Levitical law, everywhere, the emphasis is on the shedding of the blood. We can see this scarlet core in major events and major offerings in the feast days, in the great day of atonement, in the dedication of a temple, 
Throughout the Old Testament era, it's there. Rivers of blood flowed from the altars of Israel during this period of time. I think that's a picture of the scarlet cord. You know, we when we stand at Calvary, when we understand that moment, we can understand the significance of Christ shedding his blood. When we see Jesus take the cup and he says, in this new covenant in my blood. We just had Lord's Supper last week. First Corinthians. Talks about this is my body, this is my blood. In First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, it says, Knowing that you were ransomed for the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And you know what? That's how it is in this book, from cover to cover. Genesis to Revelation. You know, the Old Testament saints, they were saved by faith. They were looking forward in their sacrifices and offerings to the shed blood of Christ on Calvary's cross. They didn't understand it. You know, we're saved by looking back by faith to Calvary. We, we know the end of the story. We've seen the actions. Let me put it this way. No scarlet cord on your doorstep, no salvation. No scarlet cord in the window of Rahab's house, there would be no salvation. No scarlet cord bound by faith to our hearts, no salvation. If you do not have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that he allows us to have through the shedding of his blood for us, to wipe us clean. That's the most... I don't care what you get out of this message. I, I hope you get something. But honestly, this is the most important part. It's the relationship. Christ shed his blood for us. And you know what? Do we live a life... I was talking to Colin the other day, Pastor Colin. I've been watching the movie Saving Private Ryan. And at the end of Saving Private Ryan, remember Captain, whatever his name, Tom Hanks, he's about to die. And he pulls Private Ryan over and he says, earn this. You know what Christ says? You can't earn it, I'm giving it to you. We can't earn a flipping thing. He wants our obedience. He wants our relationship. He wants us to know Him. I love you all. I really do. I even like most of you. <laughs> I'm only kidding. But you know what? I would be... It would break my heart to know that someone here doesn't know the Lord. You know? My worst the guy I dislike in life, there is somebody like that. I can, don't tell you his name, but I know him. I really don't like him. But I don't want him to go to hell. I don't want his mansion to be next to mine. But, <laughs> you know, I, I, folks, it's by the blood. 
And it's by faith. It's by our hearts. It's by the joining of Christ with us, this fellowship. If we don't have that, I don't care if you can quote Scripture in verse backwards and forwards in Greek and Latin and Hebrew. If you don't have that relationship, I'm sorry. Scripture is very clear where you spend eternity. But you know what? That was the faith that Rahab exercised in Joshua 2.21. Rahab was the dedicated servant. You see, it didn't matter about her past. God could use her. Our hearts and motives what pleases God. It's our hearts and our motives. Is it works? No. It's all Jesus. Rahab's heart had to be changed and as a result of her burden for her family, it changed. She did not perish with those that did not believe. You know, I kind of wonder what was going on in Rahab's family when she's witnessing to him. You know, I can almost see one saying, you know what, what are you worried about? You, you don't have any danger. You live in the strongest place in, the, in Jericho. Maybe another would have said, you know what, Rahab, you're crazy. How on earth is that silly piece of cord going to save you? If we're going to be saved, then I personally don't think we are in need of saving. Then we can save ourselves. You get that? I don't, I don't think we need to be, but if we had to, we could do it ourselves. Maybe someone else says, I'll wait it out. I'll make my decision when I see the Hebrews have breached the wall and stormed our gates. And there's plenty of times to make that decision. They don't even have any battering rams. Are we guaranteed the next breath? I don't gamble. I, I just don't. But if I were a gambler, I wouldn't gamble on that. No, I'll just... It'll come. I'm going to skip a little bit ahead here. I'm going to go down to... Because I'm pulling a Gephardt, so I'm going <laughs> to... Um, the notes are all on the website if you want to see what I was going to say next. But I, I have a, final, a couple of final questions. God has provided, here's a statement first, God has provided us with salvation. And as a result, we're changed. So what are you going to do with your new life? How are you using it? Are you using it for God and for his glory? The real final question is this. Will our descendants, our great, great, great grandkids, if there's still a world then, will they be able to say that they came to know Christ just like you do today? We have to share that with our families. We have to live, live it for our families. Kids at the VBS, their minds are like sponges. Now, I sat in this room as often as they did, and I know God watching. That's about the best I got. They, they picked up the moves, the words, and everything else like that. 
they, their minds are like sponges. What better time to get them before they become teenagers and become opinionated? <laughs> Anybody have an opinionated teenager? <laughs> that dictionary, that would be my picture there too. <laughs> but really, the question is, will we have touched our families? You know, when you go into the notes, it's going to talk about Boaz and the line. Do you realize Christ is in the line, comes in the line of a prostitute? Rahab's in his lineage. Uh, lineage. Amazing. God can use any one of us. He knows our strengths. He knows our weaknesses. I submit that we should make it our, let him use our weaknesses to become strengths. Marty, if uh, the worship team comes up. Fearless faith. It's being courageous. It's being bold. You know, being fearless means you know there are going to be obstacles in your way. You know that you will be tried. But you're fearless. You're going to do it anyway. Why? Because we have the Lord and Savior behind us. We have the Holy Spirit with us today to pick us up, to lift us, to encourage us. When we need to be rebuked, He rebukes us. When we need to be encouraged, He encourages us. When He needs to strengthen us, He strengthens us. That's why we have everything in our being should be fearless faith. Why do I believe this? Because I believe this. And I know that I know that I know. Good morning. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.